Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing the game's Winter Edition, which was chosen as this episode's game by Patreon supporters like Alan Hudgens, Gabe DeGenero, and Jake Nonamaker. If you would like to help pick the next episode's game or just support my podcast, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara and sign up today. The Winter Edition was published for the Commodore 64 in 1988 by Epix. It is a game for one to eight players that uses joystick controls. We have covered Epix games many times previously on the podcast, so I won't dive into the company's history. If you want to hear more about that, you can go back to some of the other episodes where I have covered Epix games, including the second episode I ever did of Sprite Castle, which I covered Winter Games on. On episode 5, I covered California games, and on episode 11, I covered Jumpman and Jumpman Jr. So Epix has been a very popular and frequent appearer on the Sprite Castle podcast. Up to eight players can compete in this series of Winter Olympic-themed events in yet another classic entry in Epics in the Epic series of games. Games. <laughs> That's an awkward sentence to try to say. Uh, Epics pioneered the game series of games that dates all the way back to their original release of Summer Games. After Summer Games, they had Winter Games and California Games and World Games. And then eventually they circled back around and released this title, The Games Winter Edition. And that same year, 1988, they also released The Games Summer Edition. Now, there was already a game called Summer Games 2, so I don't understand why they didn't call this Winter Games 2, but I do have a theory about that, which I will talk about later in the show. Now, the tie-in, obviously, is the Winter Olympics, which took place in 1988, the same year that this game was released. That year, the Olympics were hosted by our northern neighbors up in Calgary, Alberta. And this was an actual, officially licensed Olympics game. In the opening title, we see the Olympic rings and USA all over the game. I don't know if they changed the graphics in other regions, but I do know that they changed the box, which is a little bit interesting. So, um, you know, like the other games series, we do get the torch lighting ceremony and the doves being released. So uh, it's definitely a tie-in to the Olympics. They want you to know uh, probably that they paid for that license. <laughs> so let's talk about that box. On the front of the box, we get Epic's and then we get the games. So it's almost like the name of this is the games. And then there's one of those little travel stamps right at the end of the logo where it says the games, which says winter edition. They did the same thing with their other release, the games summer edition. It's always awkward in a series of games where the naming standard has been established to change that naming standard. So it almost separates these two games from the rest of the series. You know, summer games, winter games, California games, world games, the games winter edition. It just doesn't flow. It's like when they stopped naming the Friday the 13th movies. <laughs> it took the number right out of the title, made it confusing. 
Uh, also in the front of the box, we have a downhill skier. He is wearing a red and white ski bib with a blue helmet. Those are very uh, American colors. And it says USA right across the front of his ski bib. Now, in other regions, they changed that artwork. If you look up the cassette artwork, which would have been uh, more prominently uh, uh, sold in the UK, you can see that that guy no longer appears. Instead, it focuses on the gold medal, and you can see some of the events and things in the background. So they took off the large USA <laughs> logo off the front of the game. On the back of the box, we get some pictures from the game, some screen grabs. We get more information. We have that same logo across the top that says the games and then that stamp that says winter edition at the end of that. And again, it says epics. Epics has on the front, it says epics twice on the title screen. Epics has the word epics in two different places. So they really want you to associate their brand name and let you know that this is Another one of those types of games where you're going to get multiple events by epics. The text on the back says, it's the next best thing to being there. These seven events modeled after the official competition put you right there in the Canadian Rockies competing against the fastest and strongest athletes in the world. Going for the gold. The easy part ends after the colorful opening ceremonies. After that, you'll sweat icicles in the cross-country competition, slice through ice in the oval track speed skating event, and with burning muscles, you'll, st you'll make a self-styled figure skating routine look easy. No, you won't, <laughs> by the way. Then it says, and daring. You'll cruise the luge at 95 miles per hour with only a fiberglass board and some razor-sharp blades between you and a rock-hard chute of ice. To get downhill to the gold, you'll have to ski over 70 miles per hour without hitting any flags. And you'll taste the Canadian stratosphere as you free-fall down a 90-meter ski jump, ride the wind, and touch down on white concrete. Do it better and faster than anyone else, and you've got the gold. And then it says below this, Make history in seven amazing events. Downhill skiing, slalom, luge, figure skating, ski jump, cross-country skiing, and oval track speed skating. Unique camera angle views capture your performance, and in the downhill event, you can set up cameras all over the course. Opening, closing, and award ceremonies take place in the Canadian Rockies, depicting actual pageantry. Up to eight can play at once, each competing for the country of their choice. Then on the right-hand side, of course, we have three small pictures of gameplay. One is the downhill, one is the luge, and one is figure skating. So, uh, and then, uh, as Epics used to do on the bottom, it shows the Epics thinking guy. It shows uh, that it supports one or two joysticks. So, um, it, you know, you get a lot of information. This was something when you downloaded a game, you didn't get all this stuff. But when you picked up the box, you actually got uh, quite a bit of information. Now, the manual that comes with this, I would categorize as mandatory. These events are not simple. You can't just pick up a joystick and figure out what to do on most of the events. Uh, so you have to read the instructions in the manual. You have to find out. It will tell you what the timing is, what the uh, joystick movements that are required. So they're actually quite complicated. And throughout the manual, each of the seven events are first described in plain language, like it tells you about the history of, you know, speed skating or <laughs> the high, you know, the downhill uh, events, like like how those events came about, and then it tells you what the controls are. So it tells you specifically how to play each event, and finally, it gives you winning tips, and those little tips will help you beat your friends whenever you're playing head to head against them uh, when playing the games winter edition. 
When we boot the game, we get a title screen that comes up that again says the game's winter edition, and we get these falling snowflake sprites. They're all over the screen, and it's really um, kind of pretty, actually. Uh, that moves to a second screen where we see the Olympic rings, and again, USA <laughs> displayed prominently on the screen. Once we get past this, we get to a menu screen who... Uh, to anyone who has played these other games by Epics will look immediately familiar. I think they just changed out the graphic border a little bit, but uh, the coding and the verbiage is very similar to all the other ones. Uh, at this menu screen, you can choose to compete in all the events. You compete in some of the events. You can compete in just one event. You can practice an event. You can choose the number of players and the number of joysticks that you have, either one or two, and on players that is one through eight. You can see the world records, which are basically a high score table. You can also view the opening ceremonies and you can view the closing ceremonies. So if you like watching, uh, they actually put a lot of work. They're really good. Um, they're much more advanced than the ones that we got on the earlier games, like summer games or winter games. Um, it's it's almost uh, like a, a demo where the camera changes angle. We get a guy running, you know, like a, a behind the guy shot. We get a shot where he's going up the stairs. We get all kinds of there's in the closing ceremonies. There's fireworks. It's really intricate. Somebody put a lot of time into the opening and closing ceremonies. Uh, so, um, you know, they're, they're worth watching for sure. Um, if, if you're not familiar with these games, the difference between competing in an event and practicing an event, when you compete in an event, you only get one shot. So, if you are doing, let's say, you know, the downhill ski and that gives you three tries, you get three tries and then it goes back to the menu. Uh, but the advantage of doing it that way is that if you get a high score, it is official and it will get saved uh, to the uh, the Hall of Fame or the high score list. If you do practice an event, you can do it over and over and over without returning back to the menu, but those scores will not count. Those will not go into that high score table and get saved to the disc. So uh, practicing is what most people, that's all I normally did as a kid was just practice the event and play them over and over. Um, if you go down to the events, if you choose practice or compete or whatever, uh, you get the list of the events. Again, there are seven. There is the luge, cross country, figure skating, ski jump, slalom, speed skating, and downhill. Each one of those is very different. They're all different and unique. So, I seem to recall maybe with like summer games or summer games two. You know, you would have a track running event and then you would have a track running event that was just running further. <laughs> so they're very similar. But each one of these feels like a different event. Now, Winter Games, which came out, uh, I think, three years before this, also had some of these similar uh, or the same events. It had Ski Jump, which is also appears here. It has figure skating, which also appears here. And then it had bobsled. Uh, on this, we get the luge, which is not identical, but very similar. But all the events in this game have been reprogrammed. So they didn't just take the old code and drop it into a new game. They've been completely redesigned. So even though the event is the same, the actual game itself is unique. I'm going to run through the seven events and just talk about them. Uh, very briefly, the first one is the luge. The luge is not like, it is not simple like the bobsled event from the original Winter Games. You have to launch yourself, first of all. So you have to rock your um, toboggan back and forth. You have to let go at the right time. You have to press the fire button a lot of times to use your hands to speed up. And then you will take off down this track at breakneck speeds. The most interesting and challenging part about this event is that the camera angle is constantly changing. <laughs> so 
the view is not like a first person view like it was in winter games. The view is from stationary cameras and you will watch your toboggan go by at breakneck speeds. The reason this is difficult is because sometimes your toboggan will go by from left to right. Sometimes it will go by from right to left. And so <laughs> when it's doing that, you have to be steering. So if you're trying to steer uh, on the, like, let's say to stay on the inside of the track, sometimes you're pulling left, sometimes you're pulling right. It gets very confusing and it goes so quickly. Uh, it, it's very difficult and challenging. Now, the thing that I found when playing it this week is that if you don't touch a single thing and just let the joystick go, you will pretty much make it to the end. You just won't have a great time. So the challenge isn't making it to the end of the lose track. The challenge is uh, improving your time by making smart decisions. So anyway, that is delusion. It's a very fast uh, event to play. Next is cross country. This is known as a joystick waggler. That's what we used to call these. Uh, you will be skiing cross country to uh, make your skis go. You will press left, right, left, right. Uh, on the joystick, then sometimes you go up hills and you have to go left, right, left, right, plus press your button. If you hold the button down, then you kind of do that uh, walk that skiers sometimes do when they um, walk going uphill. Uh, but it is more left, right, left, right. And then when you're going downhill, you have to also go left, right, left, right, and you press the button to use your stick. So uh, this is a, uh, in real life, it is an event that requires endurance. And on the Commodore 64, it is also an event that will require uh, endurance. Next is figure skating. Figure skating is quite possibly the most, the longest, most frustrating, and most complicated event in the entire game. In the original Winter Games, there was a figure skating event that worked exactly like you think it would. Your skater goes out on the ice, you try to perform different moves, and then at the end you would get a score based on how uh, you linked those moves together and whether or not you successfully landed those moves. In the game's Winter Edition... The figure skating event starts with you picking what type of music you want because you are going to have to choreograph your entire performance. So first of all, you pick your music and there are several songs and styles of music to choose from. Once you have that, now you have to choreograph your entire performance. And this is done by choosing small icons that represent different moves. And you're doing this in real time as the music plays. So you want to choose moves at opportune times during the music. You can choreograph things really poorly because you may choose two moves that can't be performed back to back, <laughs> which uh, means you're definitely going to fall in your performance. So you have to put some time and effort into choreographing uh, your your uh, performance. And then you have to perform the performance that you just choreographed to the music. So it will tell you, hey, you know, you picked a <clears throat> double axle and then you have to, so you have to watch the text and it shows you what you've choreographed. And then you have to perform those moves at that time to the music. It's very difficult and it's very long because for every player, you know, these songs are like two minutes long, which means you have to listen to the entire song while choreographing your performance. And then you have to do it again while you're performing the performance. So if you figure in disc loading and pauses, that's about five minutes per player. So if you had eight friends that were all playing this game, you're talking 40 minutes for just this one event to get all eight players through it. It's very frustrating. I can't imagine ever playing this event again, and I would never play it for entertainment value. <laughs> it's not that much fun. Uh, but what is fun is the ski jump. And the ski jump is another event that was on Winter Games, but this one has been reimagined. Um, after you see the graphic of the ski jump from far away, you press a button. 
your skier starts going down, but then it switches to a first-person point of view where you have to steer and stay in the middle of the ramp. There's some timing where you have to hold a button down and let the button go to start your jump. And then the part where you're flying through the air is similar to the original Winter Games. You have to correct your stance. You have to get in the exact 45-degree uh, angle, which is optimal for distance. And then you have to pull the joystick down and do some things to successfully land after that jump. So the fun thing about this event is that it goes pretty fast. If you don't have the manual and don't know when to hold the button, when to release the button, how to do things, I couldn't jump. <laughs> I never made it off the ramp until I went and read the manual. So it's a, a little bit complicated, but once you get the system down, it's not that bad. Next up is the slalom, and the slalom is presented in an isometric view, that kind of 2.5D view. So if you think about Zaxxon, it's that kind of view, but instead of uh, in Zaxxon, where you're in the bottom left moving to the upper right, in this game, you the skiers are in the upper right, and they are moving down towards the bottom left, which is kind of a unique view, uh, just like what you would imagine for slalom, you have to move in and out of the flags. You could choose some different difficulty levels that make the flags further apart or closer together to give yourself a fighting chance. Next up is speed skating. This is another joystick waggler. The instructions say for speed skating, you need to move the joystick left, right, left, right in a rhythmic pattern. So if you try to do it too quickly or too slowly or your timing isn't right, you will fall down. You also have to press up and down to change lanes to cross over at different times. But um, my experience with this was that I fell every three feet. So if you are looking for a speed skating event that takes about four minutes for you to make it around the lap, <laughs> that was my experience. I was not very speedy in the speed skating event. Next, we have Downhill. This is another event that is presented in first person. So you are doing a first person uh, view. You're going down the hill and you have to go in between those flags, just like a you know normal uh, uh, downhill event. You can control your speed. And that to me was the key because if you go too quickly, you won't be able to react fast enough to make it through those flags. But if you go too slowly... You won't get a high score, so the key to this event is not just going in between those flags, but doing so as quickly as possible without going too fast to make it impossible to do. So overall, again, these events, I think every one of them, maybe not downhill, I could probably do downhill, but most of these events, um, you know, the ski jump for sure, the um, cross country, you know, all these events... You really need to read the manual to figure out how to work the events because they're not um, just natively easy to understand. You can't just pick up a joystick and expect to do any good on these events. The game does support one to eight players, and it does support two joysticks, but there aren't that many events that actually put you head-to-head -head against another player. I'm just scrolling back up here and looking at the list. Uh, the luge is definitely one person at a time. The cross country is two people head to head. Uh, and I think the slalom is two people, but the figure skating is one person at a time and very lengthy. <laughs> Each person gets a lot of time on that one. Uh, ski jump is one at a time. Speed skating would be head to head. And then downhill is just one at a time. So there's only less than half of the events actually support head to head competition. So having two joysticks is not Required, And if you only have one joystick, you'll just be competing against the computer in those events. So it, it doesn't really take away from, uh, take away from the gameplay. Um, some of the events I would say are winners. Uh, I like the downhill. I like the slalom. And once I got a, a hang of the controls, I like the high jump. The racing ones just kind of add a level of difficulty. Some of them feel like they are just put there to make the game seem longer, like the cross-country 
uh, you know, it, it's um, not that much fun and it just takes up a lot of time. And then, of course, the uh, figure skating, like I said, is the longest event and it is impossible. Like I could not successfully do anything in that event, even after reading the instructions and trying multiple times. And that kind of gives the overall game some pacing issues, you know. Um, some of the events are very quick and they're fun, but they go by very quickly. And then you get stuck with an event that takes a long time and it really slows down the gameplay. If you had friends over playing this game, I could see doing the compete in some events and definitely leaving some of the slower ones out. Um, also the original came with three discs. If you download a cracked copy today, you're likely to get a four disc version and, uh, there's a lot of disc swapping. So there's only one or two events per disc. So if you are competing in all the events, you can expect uh, a lot of disc swapping. And even if you're only doing one, there's going to be a lot of disc loading, which really, again, goes back to slowing down the pace of the overall game. If you're playing this with friends, like if you were a kid and you invited your friends over, I would say there is a very large home field advantage because whoever has practiced these events has a big time advantage over other people. Some of these have um, very specific timing things or are very complicated. So if you hand someone the joystick and you say, okay, here's how you do um, you know, the downhill, here's where you hit the button. You got to do this. You got to steer. You got to do that. I mean, that's too much to take in on just a single playthrough. So if you've practiced the events a few times beforehand, you'll be able to beat all your friends. <laughs> if you, in, in 2023, almost 2024, if you're inviting friends over to play, uh, Commodore 64 epics games, you got this one in the bag. Um, not, um, uh, you know, the events, I would say the problem is that a lot of the events feel like they're dropped in. And what I mean by that is I feel like they put a lot of time into the opening and closing ceremonies. They have the framework. They obviously have the code to make these games work and play different events. So they had everything that they needed. They just needed to make some events. And so a lot of the events just feel like, Hey, what's a, a unique control system we could use with a joystick and then write a game around it and then drop that into the game. So it's like they already had the structure and then the events in some, in some instances almost feel like an afterthought. So, um, and I, and I think to that, to that um, point, what I would say is that a lot of the events, don't make you want to play them over and over. Like the figure skating, I'm, I know I'm beating up on the figure skating, but I don't want to go back and play that, you know? And when I think about the other Epic's titles, you know, I just played barrel jumping on winter game or no world games where you race on speed skates and you jump over barrels. And that's such a fun event. First of all, it's very fast and there's a, a simple goal. How many barrels can you jump? And you keep adding barrels, trying to find what that limit is. Like how many barrels can you jump? That's a fun event. You know, California games is full of fun events. You know, the BMX is fun. The hacky sack is fun. You know, all these um, you know, those games have events that are memorable and fun and make you want to play them. And a lot of the events in this game just aren't really that much fun. Now, like the real Olympics a score in a competition is tracked by how many medals you win. So all uh, gold medals get five points, silver medals get three points and bronze are worth one point. Um, so every, event has its own scoring system, you know, so, uh, um, that, that's obvious whether it's time or points or whatever, and then winners are determined. And then based off that, you will uh, get a medal and that goes to the overall score. So those times for each event, uh, will get saved again. If you're doing a competition, those will get saved in the world records. And then if you're playing with friends, the winner would be determined based on how many medals you were able to acquire during the competition. Now I have this theory about why this is called the games winter edition. I couldn't find anything uh, about, you know, related to the title, but my theory is they didn't want to call it winter games Two 
because some of the events in this are the same as Winter Games. So if you call it Winter Games 2, you're immediately going to com compare it to Winter Games. And if you're a kid and you bought a game that has seven events and three of them are also on Winter Games, I think you would be disappointed. But by renaming it the Games Winter Edition and the Games Summer Edition, it kind of separates this from the other Epic's titles. So I don't know that that's true, but that's... That's my theory. Um, and, you know, again, not all the events are repeated. And there's some events that were really fun in Winter Games that don't appear here. My favorite event in the original Winter Games uh, was the hot dog event. Hey, did somebody say hot dog? Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. Welcome to Talking Snack, and I'd like to congratulate my three lucky patrons, Jason Warns, Center Reinhardt, and Travis Gossi. They have been invited for a front row view of the ski jump in next year's Winter Olympics. So congratulate, let's all congratulate these three patrons. Actually, not, it's not next year, it's 2026 Winter Olympics. Um, and uh, seating is first come first serve so uh jason and center and travis have all been with me on a plane we are now in calgary alberta and we are up front we are in the front row and all we've got to do is stay right here through 2026 i guarantee you guys it'll be worth it this will be the best seat in the house and while we wait i have made up some delicious hot chocolate you know um I, I'm pretty okay with instant hot chocolate, but this is my wife's recipe. She's actually put some chocolate in here. And uh, to top it off, I purchased a bag of those uh, Lucky Charms marshmallows. It's a bag that doesn't have the cereal. It's marshmallows only. So on top of your heart chocolate there, guys, you may see some pink hearts, yellow moons, <laughs> orange stars, green clovers, blue diamonds, and purple horseshoes. I don't know what what they have nowadays, but that's uh, that's what's in these bags. So, while the guys are enjoying their hot chocolate on their long stay as we wait for the Olympics to begin, that'll give me a little bit of time to talk about what I have been playing on the Commodore 64. And the first thing I have to mention is Briley Witch Chronicles 2. This is Sarah Jane Avery's latest release. I thought the original Briley Witch Chronicles was genius. Uh, it is, even if you don't, uh, if the storyline is not your, your bag of tea, you know, it's a witch and you're going on adventures. I mean, it is the closest, I think, to a Zelda-style game that we have seen on the Commodore 64. It's absolutely brilliant. She has come up with her own, um, I guess, I don't know, like a game creation system to make this game and this is the sequel Briley Witch Chronicles 2 it is not free it costs $10 I mentioned this on Twitter I got a notification when it was released I bought it um, you know not a, it's not a first day release for me it was a first hour release and here's my um, I don't know two cents where I throw this in um, but people like Sarah Jane Avery, and she's not the only one. I know Icon 64, um, Protovision, there's several other companies. Um, but these are the people that are keeping Commodore 64 quality releases alive. And I don't mean to disparage the free stuff because there's Arlesoft, there's a lot of people. There's so much good stuff coming out. But if you want people to keep making games, whether it's the free stuff, whether it's these these types of games and $10 is not, you know, when I was a kid, a new game might be 30, 40, $50. And of course, back then in the eighties, I mean, first of all, $50 was just out of my realm. I didn't have $50. And back then $50 was like $80 now. So like it was just so much money. $10 right now. I mean, $10, I went the other day to get uh, burger fries and a drink. This is a true story. It was $13. So this is cheaper than a trip through a drive-thru. And again, uh, we're supporting quality games. So 
Uh, I've just started playing it. It is as brilliant as the first one. I'm uh, absolutely loving it already, but that is Briley Witch Chronicles 2. Uh, a game that is free, but you can support online on uh, itch.io is The Ghosts of Blackwood Manor. This is the latest graphical text adventure by Stephen Vogt. I have played some of his earlier games. I've talked about them. Uh, he This is actually written in Inform 6, which is very interesting because that is the... Uh, Inform is based on the Infocom text adventures uh, so it's that that same style of engine and once you write a game in inform uh, you can translate that game you can take the the scripting or whatever you want to call it the, the code and port it to a lot of different systems so it is on the commodore 64 but this has been ported to everything from uh, i know there's a release for the trs 80 and there is a release that works on modern pcs and pretty much everything in between so uh, I played this on the Commodore 64, but if you want to play it on the Apple, you want to play it on the Amiga, you want to play it on uh, the Atari, the TRS-80, anything pretty much that has a keyboard and will hook up to a screen, there is a version of Inform that will run this thing. So, again, this is The Ghosts of Blackwood Manor. Uh, Stephen Vogt says in the release notes that it is not designed to be a terribly difficult text adventure or graphic adventure but it is designed it's more about the experience and the writing and uh that's right on mark i'm really enjoying going through that right now so uh, if you like those style of games check that out if you're more into action and arcade games there was a new release of tetris called tetris recoded um and uh, there's been a couple of these you know we talked about the dig dug remix that was released a couple months ago and here again we have an old game but it has been redone with the modern style graphics, it's it's very updated. If you like Tetris, I don't need to explain it to you, but Tetris Recoded is a free download and uh, maybe my favorite version of Tetris on the Commodore 64. It's really, really good. So be sure to check that out. I saw this bit of news that popped up on Google News. I tell you what, Google, uh, once they get your number, know what you're interested in, they will dish that stuff out to you on a plate. And the news that popped up was a release of Teensy Rom, which is made by Travis Smith. And the article says that the Teensy Rom adds functionality to your original Commodore 64 or Commodore 128. So I dug into this. Um, it does add a lot of features. First of all, it is compatible with both the C64 and the 128. It also supports PAL and NTSC versions of the computer, so it should work on just about anything. The first thing it adds is a MIDI host. So you can hook this up to a Commodore 64 and then run a cable from this to your PC and actually leverage the original SID chip that's in your Commodore 64 for MIDI tracks. So that's cool. Uh, it supports loading cartridge ROMs, so if you want to load any kind of cartridge, that could be a game or a utility cartridge, this thing will do that. It also loads programs, but from the videos I've watched, I need to clarify that this does not mount D64 disk images. What this does allow you to do is load literally programs or .prg file so anything that is a single load game and there's lots and lots and lots of those out there uh, you would be able to load with this now again a multi-loader something like oh bard's tale or any you know um, or this this game uh the game's winter edition you would not be able to play although there were releases of i, I remember specifically as a kid downloading each individual event from world games separately and they were each, it was just like its own game so you didn't get the menu system but you could play the event in practice mode uh so you could probably do that um with the tnc rom but uh, you wouldn't be able to do multi-loading type disc stuff so this is not a replacement for the ultimate 64 kung fu flash um, anything like that. It does support loading storage from uh, a micro SD card. It has its own flash storage on the cartridge or USB. So uh, pretty much anything you have that stores uh, games you can load from. It does also offer Ethernet. So if you don't have a way to get your Commodore 64 online, this is a cheap solution for that. Uh, on the, the YouTube demonstration video, they have CCGMS, which is a term program that works 
with Ethernet at uh, at 38, I think what is it, 38K. So you can, uh, it's really fast for downloading, especially if you're downloading, you know, uh, programs that it, you know that are much smaller than that. So programs are downloaded in just a second or two. Um, all of this, the code and instructions are available on GitHub. So you can search GitHub for TNC ROM and you can build this yourself. It says it requires moderate soldering uh, uh, capabilities or you can purchase a pre-assembled one for $59. So pretty cheap. You know, it does give you uh, the Ethernet connectivity and the MIDI stuff, which add, makes it a little bit more expensive than the Kung Fu Flash. So if you're only wanting to play games, I would probably go with the Kung Fu Flash. But if you're wanting to add Ethernet to your Commodore 64 or explore the MIDI capabilities, then take a look at the TNC ROM. If you would like a seat in the Sprite Castle Dining Hall or would like to support my creative adventures or help pick which games I'll be reviewing, go to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. I'm going to leave these guys here while they wait in line for the next two years in Milan, and I'm going to get back to the castle and finish recording this week's episode. Reviews of this game were pretty interesting because all the numbers are pretty high, but the actual reviews themselves are not that favorable. Info Magazine gave it a 90%, ASM gave it 89%, 69er gave it 80%, All Game Guide gave it 80%, Zap gave it 76 the Games Machine gave it 75, Commodore User gave it 70%, and Advanced Computer Entertainment gave it a 65%. But even uh, one of the more positive reviews says, and I pulled this quote out, the game's winter edition has little that's original to offer, but it's well put together and is fun to play. And so that kind of ties back, and a lot of the reviews said the same thing, which is, the opening ceremonies are amazing. The closing ceremonies look really good. The graphics look really good. The sound is good. All these things. The events look good. They're just not that much fun to play. Now, if you don't want to play this on a Commodore 64, you are in luck. It was ported to several other computers, including the Atari ST, the ZX Spectrum, the MSX, the Amstrad CPC, DOS, Amiga, and Apple II. In 2020, this game was released by, I believe it's Pixel Games, uh, the company that is behind uh, the uh, C64 Mini and Maxi and all those uh, newer uh, re-releases of old computers. They released this on Steam in 2020. I believe they got the rights to resell Epic's games. So if you want to try this out, you can actually buy this on Steam and play it uh, if you want. If you would rather own the original, good news for you. On eBay, I found a complete in-box copy. That's all the discs, the manual, the warranty card, the box itself for about $25. I've seen it sell for a little bit less. I've seen it sell for a little bit more. Some of the other versions, the Apple II version seems to be specifically more expensive, and I don't know why, but yeah, for the Commodore 64, 20, 25 bucks, you can own your own copy of this. Now let's get into my personal memories of the game's winter edition. All right, time travelers. You know, when I was a kid growing up in the BBS era, this was in the mid to late 1980s, I had, we didn't have this term back then, but I had today what I would call a lot of frenemies. These were kids that I traded discs with, and I gave them software, they gave me software, and at the drop of a hat, these people would stab you in the back and screw you over. And full disclosure, I would have done the same thing to them, and probably did do the same thing to them. Um, I'm not really sure why that is. Other, The only thing I can really put it on is, number one would be our ages. We were all, this is young, teenage stuff, 13, 14 15 years old. And the other thing is, I think there was a, 
because this was all being done remotely, this was all being done over text on BBS's typing to people. I think that gave you a certain feeling of anonymity where it didn't feel personal. If you screwed somebody out of a game or did something nasty to somebody, it didn't feel like you were doing it to a real person, I guess. It just felt like you were doing it to someone's alias on a BBS. That doesn't really make it right, but I th that's, that's the only explanation that I have. Now, as I've talked about in the old, uh, in Commodore and in some of my other stories, transferring games over the modem was insanely slow, especially at, at 1200 baud, it was so-so. At 300 baud, it was unbearable. And if there was someone that you wanted to trade several discs with, it was literally faster to get your parents to drive you to their house copy games that way, and then go back home. That was faster than uploading or downloading games through a BBS. And so there was this one guy, I'm just going to call him the surfer dude, and he was roughly my same age, and he was definitely in that frenemy circle. I know that we traded games. I know I called his BBS, and I know on multiple occasions he tried to screw me out of things, and I returned the favor many times. But there was one time where he said he wanted to set up a copy fest, and this would have been where multiple people got together, everybody brought their software, and we all traded uh, games, right? And because of the way these things worked, you were often away from your computer. You were away from your disks uh, because you were looking at other people's disks or walking around or looking at computers. And so the server dude threw a copy fest that took place at his dad's TV repair shop. Now, I remember very specifically uh, being in this place. This was after hours. We were in the back of the repair shop and there were... Uh, shelves like floor to ceiling of just broken TVs and tubes on shelves. It almost felt like the setting of a horror movie. And it turned out there was only three of us. It was me and this surfer dude guy and then one of his friends. Now, uh, there was a there were different ways to copy Commodore 64 games. And one was if the game was, had been downloaded or had been cracked, you could just copy the files to another disc. But sometimes games weren't cracked. And there was this whole, there was a program called Fast Hack'em, and Fast Hack'em had what was called parameters. Or when I was a kid, I thought it was pronounced parameters <laughs> until someone told me they were parameters. But what you would do is you would take a game, like uh, let's just say summer games, and you could make a copy of it, and that copy would not work. But Fast Hack'em had parameters, and so you would look through the parameters and find one for summer games, and then you would apply that parameter to the copy, and it would suddenly work. So this got around copy protections that were looking for things like bad sectors or null sectors or information that just wasn't, uh, you know, didn't copyright whenever you made a copy. So by applying the parameter, you would get a working copy. But you couldn't copy that disk. If you copied that disk, you would end up with another non-working copy, and you would have to apply the parameter once again to make it work. Well, the game's Winter Edition was one of those types of games. I had it, and you had to apply a parameter after you made a copy to make it work. Now, I don't think the surfer dude and his buddy knew that. And so we were copying discs, and I was there for an hour or two, and then my mom came to pick me up. I, I remember I wasn't old enough to drive when this happened. And I got back home, and my buddy um, uh, Justin called me, who ran another uh, pretty popular BBS. And Justin called me, and he said, hey, do you have a copy? And like, he literally called me on the phone. He said, hey, do you have a copy of the game's Winter Edition? I said, yeah, sure do. And the thing is, I always, because I numbered the discs, I remember exactly the discs. It was 379 and 380, both sides. And he said, um, uh, will you make sure? And I said, man, I know I have it. I, I downloaded that game. I played it. He said, just make sure for me. So I said, okay. And so I opened up my disc box and I, you know, thumbed with my fingers or, or browsed with my fingers all the way back. And I opened it up and my discs went... 377, 378, 381. Those two discs were missing. 
And I said, how did you know these discs are missing? And he said, well, he said, the surfer dude stole them from you. And he told his buddy. And they thought that was hilarious that they, because they said they couldn't copy it. So they just stole your discs. And that guy just called my BBS bragging that they had ripped off Jack Flack, <laughs> not knowing that my buddy Justin was best friends with me. So, you know, even uh, in not, even if though modems were slow, news traveled fast. <laughs> so before I could get home, from this copy fest, which was not far. It was in the next town over. I mean, it was probably a 20 minute drive, but before I got home from that thing, the news had already gotten to my friend that those guys had stolen my discs. Uh, and so, um, I remember that I got revenge uh, somehow. I think I ended up uh, calling his BBS a few months later and pretending to be some guy that was out of town. And I've promised him all these things. If he let me download all his games and, uh, um, so, you know, like I said, it was a cycle that all of us kids did all these frenemies that we were constantly, um, copying games and swapping games, but without much notice, we would always do the other one dirty. And so, um, you know, the funny thing is when you're the guy that tells the story, you tend to remember all the things that bad people did to you. And I tend to overlook all the bad things <laughs> I did to other people. That's the advantage of being the guy who tells the stories. For graphics, I would give the game's Winter Edition 5 out of 5 ski jumps. It looks fantastic. Music, 4 out of 5 ski jumps. The music here is really good. And sound effects, I will also give it 4 out of 5 ski jumps. Uh, but overall, I'm only going to give the game's Winter Edition 3 out of 5 ski jumps. It is a good-looking game. All the parts are here. It's just that the events themselves don't really make you want to go back and play them over and over. Thanks again for tuning into Sprite Castle. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can mail me directly at Rob O'Hara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcasts. Follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave a message on the podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. The game's Winter Edition was selected as this episode's game by Patreon supporters like Nathan Dagenhart, Paradroid, and Jose Cazada. If you would like to help pick games to be featured on the episode or just support my creative endeavors, read behind-the-scenes blog posts, watch weekly videos, get access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and receive other additional perks... Support tiers start at just $2 a month. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Sprite Castle is available on all major podcast providers, including the official Amigos podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. More details about all my shows can be found at podcast.robohara.com. News and games details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore News, Indie Retro News, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to Bob and your sled, and we will see you here next time on Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle.